Hello and welcome to the Ratness Podcast, episode 40-something, season three. What's up, Jim? How What's you doing, man? What's up, bro? We're here and we are with the OGest of the OG. We got two mechs on the line. What, what up, two mechs? What up, man? What's popping, y'all? Man, it's really good to have you on here, bro. I really appreciate you making time for us. Oh, man, you're a good dude, bro. I've known you for a long time and you're a good-ass solid you're a solid dude, man. Solid MC. Good, good dude. So hey. sorry it took so long to make it happen and shit. No, no problem at all, man. That means a lot coming from you, bro. Like Matt said, you're the OGest of the OGs in the underground hip hop game, bro. You've been doing this a long time. So I, I'm honored to be able to call you a friend, man. I, sure, I really man. appreciate you. Uh, Heck yeah. Well, it, for those of you that may not know, there's probably only one or two of you out there, but this two max, he's, underground hip-hop since what 92 i think is when you first started putting stuff out yeah yeah kind of like i started yeah my first group we put it together around 92 i started rapping like 90 but 92 was my first band of mexican descent omd yeah that was you and cholo Lancinco, right yep and then uh you and then you've graced the stage with like fuck hundreds of people over the years but most notably with like shapeshifters and the visionaries and uh dude you've been on just about everything yeah yeah well i dedicated you know a gang you know i'm 48 i dedicated a, a big portion of my life to hip-hop solely so yeah when you when you dedicate yourself to something for 30 years and you know you're from here you know what i mean you, and you're you got a work ethic like me it's like you're always gonna you know, you're going to be part of everything out here, you know? Heck yeah, bro. And that's something you brought up right off the bat. We could start into is your work ethic, bro. You are one of the most hungry MCs ever. And like, it never went away. Like your hunger, just constant, like pushing and hustling and always doing something in the hip hop game to make it better, bro. Like it, it's admirable. You know, any MC that's trying to make it can only hope to have as much De dedication to the craft as you've had over the years, bro. Word, man. I appreciate. Well, you know the scene's been good to me. You know what I mean. Since I since I was young. So, like I said, man, when you when you when you kind of make a, the decision to be an artist, and the actual world accepts you as that, it's such a blessing. How could you fuck that up? How could you like not follow through on on you wanted something to be and then it becomes? So it's like you know how could you not follow through on it? You know. So almost like you you owe it to people is the way you you feel like it, huh? That's what it sounds like. Like they give you all of this yeah. ability, or they give you the love, yeah. so you owe it yeah. to you them. Yeah, you do. Well, you dedicate yourself to it. So I mean, like, there's no point in not. There's no point in not doing something fully. Like, yeah. how could you half-ass the thing you love the most? You know what I mean? Yeah. So. We we mentioned that you you started in '92. You released those '92 demos. I don't know when you put them on Bandcamp, but I've been bumping those just to kind of yeah. get a feel of like how it started out and like how you you started out doing uh, what you do. And uh, it's the of Mexican descent '92 demos. The shit is like a four track EP. It's super raw, like super rough, um, almost to like people give credit to Wu Tang. I think uh, Thirty Six Chambers came out in like '92 or '93, like right around that same time. But they, they attribute it to like an East Coast thing that was like from, you know, New York and like that sound was kind of from New York. But I feel like the production, even like the beats and like the style of beats are pretty similar, like on that of Mexican Descent 92 demos. Like, uh, was that something you think that just came out of like necessity in the sense that uh, you were producing music made the same way? You had to cut it up the same way. You had to like input it the same way. So it has some of that like airiness and that openness uh, it's not yeah, like we were just young. I mean, I was 19, I think, when we were doing those. So it was just about it's always about the producers that you have around you. Mm -hmm. Fuck. I mean, in 92, we only had two or three producers. So, you know, one was this dude named DJ Shoshone, this 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 white dude from Santa Monica who was like who was like part Native American. And, like, you know, he probably had the most advanced sound. And then we were dealing with my homie Ill Brother Chat who was uh uh who was who ended up putting out a Mexican Descent's first album in 90s 97 but yeah there was all the producers we had around us were just like you know as, as when you first start making music it's really about the first people that you find that take the time to record with you and and so you know that demo is like a CVE you know what I mean mm -hmm. we were already at the good life so CVE and you know our first wave of producers 
you know, we, we were always spoiled from the beginning, man. My first producer was DJ Khalil, who produced oh, 50 Cent, Jay-Z, Eminem. I mean, yeah. at, at 17 years old, 18 years old, we had DJ Khalil producing for us. So I've always had Evidence and Kiku and Redmatic and, you know, Omid, Beneath the Surface, DJ Nobody. We were always bl- Fat Jack. We were always blessed with people more talented on the production tip. So, you know, we were we were always right from the top, had people around us that were dedicating themselves to beats the way we were dedicating ourselves to rhymes, you know? Yeah. Were those um, like studios or was that like someone's house that you would go to and they'd have like a setup? It'd be somebody's house. Well, yeah. DJ Khalil had a studio in Crescent Heights, California for some demos, but the first real recording, that demo in particular was done in Santa Monica, and in a house, this dude DJ Shoshone. It was this dude DJ Shoshone and this other dude named Casey. Oh man, what's Casey? Casey Storm, who's actually an an Academy Award, multi Academy Award winning uh, set designer. He does all the costumes and the sets for uh, all the movies by uh, like Spike Spike Jones oh, and okay. all like this dude's like a, a Academy Award winning dude. He used to be a rapper. He was a rapper named Casey Storm, huh. and they were called Four Step Plan. He was white dude and the Shoshone. They were like two white dudes, and they were they were really early on. I don't know how we ran across them, but they 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 produced for us. Like they were the first people to be like, come over and make demos. So that demo is, is a representation of working with them. You know. So back then, when you were like first getting started in it, and like early on. Who who were you looking up to? Like who were your your role models or the, your heroes in the game that like we can attribute two Max's rap career to? Oh, I, I grew up heavily influenced by East Coast hip hop, the okay. first wave. I mean, I, I listened to Sugar Hill Gang and shit, but I wasn't influenced by that. I was influenced by Run DMC and Slick Rick and Dougie Fresh. Yeah, and then most importantly, most importantly, I think I was influenced by the 88 hip hop movement from KRS-One, X-Clan, mm-hmm. yeah. Righteous Teachers, Beastie Boys, Kuella, Cool J, all that New York Def Jam shit, all that Big Daddy Kane, Biz Marquee, all the gold, what they call the golden era. Uh-huh. I was, you know, you figure I was born in 70, I was 14, 15 listening to that. So that's the golden era for me. I was lucky enough to be 13, 14, 15 during the golden era of hip hop. So of course I absorbed the shit out of it, you know? Heck yeah. When you dive in and there's so much content, like those dudes were putting out in that golden era, it's like impossible not to just envelop yourself in it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I used to get bust. I'm from LA and I used to get bust out. There was like a city program that would bust students from the inner city out to like, I went to junior high. I went to ninth grade in Brentwood, California, and I went to high school at Pacific Palisades. So we would get bused out to, to the west side, and the bus driver every morning, imagine for three to four years, every morning at 7 a.m., you would take like a one-hour ride, and at 3, 3 p.m., once again, when school's over to go home, you take a one-hour ride. So two hours a day for four years, we would be on a bus and the bus driver would be like, if you shut up, I'll play K-Day. Yeah. <laughs> like, shut up. So the whole bus would be like, shut up, shut up, shut up. And dude, imagine a bus driver bumping K-Day, bumping K-D-A-Y in the golden era for two hours a day for four years. And oh, like, yeah. imagine driving and being in a bus, driving up Malibu, driving up PCH, listening to golden era hip hop for years. Dude, that's rad. That's a that was our that was our inadvertently those bus drivers or that bus driver put us up on. I mean, I was listening to K Day anyway when I got home, but it was just like putting us up every morning from seven to eight, and then from three to four, listening bumping hip hop, like golden era hip hop. So you know, it was easy to be influenced by that. Heck yeah. Yo, that reminds me of the time that uh, me and Sully met you down at uh, the Nokia Theater, and we did we went to that show. It was it was the Golden Era Hip Hop, or they said something. It was like EPMD. It had Run DMC oh, yeah, was I there. That. 
Remember that? And like DMX Zombies headlined at the end. And DMX and all that. Yeah, that was wild. I remember that day uh, looking, like watching you watch these cats, like, and you had <laughs> stars in your eyes. You know what I mean? And that I totally remember yeah. that now. Like that was, that was a dope ass day. You got to see all of these dudes that, to be honest with you, were way before my time. You know what I mean? I was, I was super young when they were in the heyday, but being able to watch you who I look up to being around watching the dudes that you were looking up to. That was a rad ass day for sure. Oh bro. EPMD and shit. That was one of my top five rap groups of all time. Heck yeah. EPMD fucking slick, slick Rick EPMD. I mean, those were just some of my big daddy Kane. Like, I mean, yeah, I was completely influenced by that. You know what I mean? Like those, that era was everything to me. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm a fan, you know what I mean? Right. Right. Heck I'm yeah. A fan, bro. Like I will go see a show right now. I've, you know, because of COVID and everything, nobody goes anywhere, but I used to fucking go. If, if one of my heroes was playing a show, I don't care if there was 30, 40 people there, I would go like to go see nice and smooth and Dana Dane or, you know what I mean? I'm just a fan at the end of the day too, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Speaking of fans, uh, you probably have one of the hardest fan bases in the game, bro. Like, your fans are die hard. Like <laughs> you got Raider fans, like Raider type of dedication in your fandom, bro. How, what do you attribute yeah. to that? How did you cultivate that? And, and when did that really start for you? Um, I think, well, the thing about a Mexican descent, it started in the beginning, you know, you got the good life cafe and all that, but of Mexican descent, um, you know, me and Cholo, like, we didn't really know it at the time because we're 19 years old, you know what I'm saying, 20. But, you know, we, we're, we're kind of part of the second wave of Chicano hip-hop, the first wave being Lighter Shade of Brown and yeah. OGs like Kid Frost and shit like that. But me and Danny, um, me and Cholo, the thing about us that we didn't, you know, we were more like, like I said, I was really into, let's say, Karis one So when I heard the first wave of Chicano rap, I just, it's not that I didn't like it or anything. I mean, I grew to really respect Kid Frost and see for his skills and what he does and his influence and shit. But like Lighter Shade of Brown and all that, I respect all those brothers, but now, you know what I mean? But back then I, I just, rapping about lowriders and women just wasn't something that I grew up. I, I mean, I grew up in the hood, but I didn't, it just wasn't something I was interested in. So while me and Cholo were kind of like, well, where's the Mexican KRS one? Uh, where's yeah. the Mexican X clan, you know, where's that at? And so like, while we were searching for that, we kind of became that kind of thing because we were searching for it. So we were influenced by that kind those kind of artists. So we were making stuff more into that war. You know, I was already into third base and shit. Mm -hmm. I was into like all kinds of like, I was just to deeper thoughts. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Right. So, 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 you know, I used to listen to this, show when i was little man it was called dr demento yeah yeah and, i remember um, that remember dr demento i don't know if you know about that guy yeah it was like right but, before our time is like in the like mid 80s yeah. late 80s oh man and this dude so this dude was like a weird ass dude that would play weird ass music like he would play like weird al yankovic and all these comedy songs and but the thing about that show the dr demento show was that he was playing music from the 30s and the 40s and jazz and all this other shit and a lot of the songs were funny, but a lot of the songs were incredibly intelligent. Mm. And so as a kid, listening to music that wasn't what's on the radio, normally on the radio, you're talking about fools rapping, like, oh, they were rapping in the 30s and the 40s. Yep. And they were talking about all this wild shit. And they were rapping in alliteration and rapping in crazy ass styles and talking other languages and shit. And so I was just fascinated by that. The fact that you can make music about anything, like these fools would have songs about everything. So it's like when me and Danny started making music, we didn't want to limit ourselves to being like, oh, we're Mexican. Let's use salsa beats or let's use right. Mexican horns. And let's do, we, we, we consciously made an effort to avoid all those typical stereotypes. Well, and it we sounds like something different. And it sounds and so like because, in, because we became that a lot of people, that's why we have a cult following because of is. Mexican descent for a lot of uh, Mexican artists or fans 
we were like a, a flashpoint of like, man, look at these Mexican guys rapping deeper things. Yeah, definitely. And it became, and, and even though we didn't sell a lot of records, we became a, a point of pride for a whole generation of people that were like, man, that shit's different. You know what I mean? They're not rapping about, they're rapping about time and space and shit like that. Hell yeah. And so that was, that was the thing. So, so inadvertently of Mexican descent built a cult following just on the fact that at the time there wasn't anybody else, you know, we were at the forefront of Chicano rappers trying to be more critical thinkers. I read a lot of books well, I was reading a lot, incredibly reading a lot. I was watching a lot of British television. I was watching the news. So my my vocab, my vocabulary was, you know, Mexicans used to hate on my vocab because I was <laughs> speaking differently than just the normal ass East LA fool, you know? Uh-huh. And so, that's you know, my homies used to always talk shit to me at first. I mean, it still and, comes through when I listen to the stuff now, you know, 20 years later, like even the stuff from back in the day, it's like, it's so much more conscious and like so much more like, I don't know, upper level compared to like the mumble rap and all this bullshit. Like, it's almost like it's going back. It's reverting a little bit to like, I'm gangsta. I got money. I got, I got guns. I got jewelry. And like, none of your shit is really like that. Like there's, there's thug shit in it, but there's also a lot of conscious and like higher thinking in it. Yeah, and that's oh, hold on, oh shit, <laughs> and that was the point. That was the point. Owen of Mexican descent, like I said, inadvertently while we were searching for where are the Mexican KRS ones and the Mexican those kind of bands, you know, inadvertently while we were searching for that, we kind of became those kind of bands. Yeah, you oh, started fill, feeding the masses something that they didn't know that they were hungry for. Yeah, well, and then we went to the Good Life Cafe and then got exposed to even more styles and thoughts and Freestyle Fellowship and Volume yeah. 10 and Medusa and Chillin' Villain Empire and Hip Hop Clan and Funky Trend and, I mean, all endless, endless Jurassic 5. Like, we just, there was so many talented people around us creating original content that it made you be like, I'm going to go home and make something fresh for next week. You know? Oh, yeah. Heck yeah. Yeah. Dude, that's wild. So you've gone basically from like, uh, I don't want to say like, well, you were, you created something that people didn't know that they needed. So it's not like an overnight success. Cause you guys had to push and put a lot of work into it, but it's like, as soon as it bit, it skyrocketed. It sounded like, you know what I mean? As soon as people realized mm -hmm. that you were doing what you were doing, they, they wanted more. And so then it's like, how did you find yourself able to keep up with that and actually like accept that dang now, like we actually do have something dope here that people want. How, how do I continue this? Well, from the first, I mean, the first show we ever did first house party we ever played at backyard party. Every time we ever rapped from the first show we ever played, someone would be like, I want to manage you. So yeah. like every single time we did a show in those early days, someone was like, I've never seen that before. Like, what could I, you know, we dealt with the industry a little bit. And so we always knew we were, we, we had something, it just wasn't marketable and it wasn't palatable. Me and Danny weren't, had nothing, a Mexican descent had nothing to do with our looks. We mm. were just some fucking schlubby ass fools. I had no, we had no sense. We were no, not tripping on fashion. We weren't tripping on imagery. Yo, we and that was huge back then too, right? Yeah. Well, we were just into rapping, man. So we weren't, we, 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 what we did doesn't, there's no money in a, there's no profit in peace, man. There's no mm. like, it's shocking when you, when we first came out, like people are like, that is shit is hard, but it wasn't like, oh, that's hard and the world's going to love it. It was just like, damn, that's hard, but like, yeah, this intelligent shit or this conscious shit, there, there's never been an agenda to uh, blow that up. Sure, yeah, yeah. Well, like you and said, there's no profit be, in peace. I mean? That's a great line. So you just wrote you just wrote a book recently, speaking of great lines, you, got, you just wrote a book recently. Tell us a, a little bit about Word Murder. Um, it's a, it's a basically a rhyme book of 70 songs, lyrics from 70 random songs through my career mixed with 30 random poems 
from like Instagram posts. If you know, if you know my Instagram, I'm always writing, mm -hmm. you know, all every week I write something or every day, almost like I write little 16 bars or little posts of little, you know, I try to write art, whether it rhymes or not, or like, they're not really songs. They're just po poetry. So, um, this cat named Parker pubs from Texas, who's like a big time fan who hit me and was like, yo, I'm currently working on a book with Micah nine and CVE. And I'd like to do a book with you. And I was like, yeah, I've been wanting to make a rhyme book. One time I, I, I mocked up a, a rhyme book, my damn self and, uh, printed it up just to see what it would look like. But he went the extra mile, did a lot of research, pulled out like 70 songs and, and poems. And then when over the course of a couple of days called me up and we proofread the whole shit, you know, All he right. sent me a script of the whole book, but like, I have some vision issues right now cause I'm sick. I can't even read that shit. So he just called me and we proofread over the course of like five or six hour sessions. We, we proofread the whole book and got every word right and every line correct and every spelling right or all the meanings right you know yeah and yeah and we and he put it out through you know just put it out independently it's called word murder and um yeah it's just a book man we already sold like three or four hundred oh, yeah. and you know for a lot of people for a lot of people that don't you know there's a lot of people that don't understand my lyrics and i'm not the kind of artist where my lyrics are printed on the back of every record most of my records are bootlegs and underground yeah. that don't even get treated like that so so this guy doing that was kind of a big thing for me and the book came out great that's awesome there's always been there's been a positive response to it and uh yeah i mean it it like you know people love people that really want it got it you know and and and, and every day it like sells you know what i mean so it's a good thing, you know, yeah. it's Where, good to have a book like that. You know what I mean? Like, hell yeah. I have so many songs that it's a trip that, that I probably have like five, 600 songs. And that book is like just not even 100 of them. Right. So it's crazy, but that just shows you how much I've written, but yeah, he did a really good job of picking out a bunch of songs where, where I think are, that are really good. What would you say out of this, like whittled down from like five or 600 songs down to 70, which one out of that is your, do you have a favorite? You have one that you're like, oh, I'm so stoked this made it in there or something that like re sparked your memory. Like, dang, I forgot about this or whatever. There's actually a bunch of really, of. I, there's probably some of the best things I've ever written that just didn't make the book. Cause, <laughs> cause maybe he doesn't know about them or whatever, Word. you know, like I said, but there's a bunch of stuff in there, man. He really did a good job of capturing songs from different albums, different, different um you know moments where you know things that people always wanted to get a copy of from like audible angels to love fights back to the yeah it's just a, it's really a hodgepodge of, of random songs and to be honest with you he selected most of them oh, okay and uh, and 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 so it's got almost like a fan perspective yeah that's kind of he went through my ig he went through my ig he went through a couple of years of my ig and pulled out poems and I used to have an IG page called the poetry of two megs that I would have a poetry page and he went through there and pulled out a couple things and just, yeah, he just did a really great job of pulling out a bunch of stuff. So it's a good, um, you know, there's a lot of kids that have hit me up that are like, man, I always wanted to know the lyrics to this one thing, or I always wanted to know this, you know? Oh yeah. Is so it, is it thing. available on your site or just through him or where, where can people check that well, out? It's, on a, it's, it's like two mexbook.com. Okay. Just simple, simple like that. I'll, you know, I'll look it up. I'll it's make like, sure we put it in the description of this episode. Yeah. And stuff. Yeah. Two mexbook.com. Yeah, it, it's like some publishing thing. That's like, that'll make books for you called lulu.com and shit. It's like, a you can print up any book and shit. So oh, it's but yeah, it's good, yeah. man. We, it's, it's like I said, it's, my goal is to sell 1000 copies and cut it. So we're already at like three. So, you know, as the year goes by, if we can get to a thou, then I'll just cut it. And then it'll be cool. Like who, who has it, whoever has it, you know? Yeah. That's dope though, man. Because like who says, like a lot of your stuff is a little bit more introspective, like a little bit more poetic than just like surface lever level kind of like rapping. Uh, and like, I don't know, just a couple, of, I, I've been listening to the stuff like 
for a long time, but even more in the last couple of weeks, because I knew we were going to have this conversation is like just certain lines, like the first line off of uh, Ghost Ryan for God, where it's like, uh, fuck, I took DMT. It told me to shut the fuck up like that kind <laughs> of shit. Or like you have another line that's like landscapes look different when you can't escape. Like just certain things, I was like, "Damn, that's like super dope." Just it like w- would repeat in my head, like it would come to me like daily as whatever I'm doing because of like listening to you know what you had to say on the track. Word, man, thank you. Appreciate that means a lot to me, man. That's what really means a lot when someone actually listens in the right way, you know what I mean, or gets it and stuff like that. My stuff is kind of hard to get if you're into just normal hip hop. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's like you gotta. I come from. Like I said, Karis One and De La Soul and, you know, complicated rappers like Raz Kaz and uh-huh. Organized Confusion and Freestyle Fellowship. You know, I, I come from a school of artists that make that that push the envelope. So I, I was such a fan of that kind of stuff. I always wanted to write something. Sometimes I write a whole poem for one line. There's only one line that I think is really the dopest. Mm-hmm. And it's like if I have to write this whole poem to get this one line off, then I will, you know? Yeah. You, you got you, those rappers that you named too, are you all have the same style and the fact that you have to focus, you have to listen when you're listening to that music. You know what I'm saying? You actually could pay attention. I mean, it's enjoyable just listening and having the beats go on if you're not paying attention, but if you actually focus your ear and pay attention to what you're saying, there's so much in there. You know what I'm saying? And that just speaks to depth. Yeah, I like to be educated, man. I want to hear something that blows my wig back. Yes, sir. I just want to hear something that, like, I, and even if it's simple, even if it's about women or romance or money, even if it's about getting money or whatever, like, say it in a clever way. Yeah. If it's clever, I dig it. Yeah. As long as it's clever, I fucking, I, I could I could put up with, with rapping about money and, and getting rich if it's clever. Yeah, right. clever, you know what I mean. Like I could, you could rap about bitches all day as long as it's clever. Whenever fools rap about that shit and it's fucking, you're like, oh, that's dope. You know what I mean? That's why I like battle rap. I love watching yes. these battle rappers because they say clever. Just anything clever is just you know. I I want to be educated or I want to hear a line that makes me be like, oh, you know, Raz Kaz is one of those deep thinkers. You know what I mean? When you listen to his music, you oh, know yeah. what I mean? He, yeah. he fucking fits shit, you know? You know, you're running around in $1,000 clown suits. You better get some boots when Lucifer turns the city to Beirut. Like, that <laughs> shit is dope, you know what I mean? That's the, you know, MF Grimm and shit like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, God moves like a snail, so death prevails. You're dead the, dude, God moves like a snail, mm-hmm. so death prevails? Like, that shit means more to me mm-hmm. than, than anything, you know what I mean? Like, any, that shit will... That's the kind of shit that gets me excited. You know what I mean? Hell yeah. When you can invoke such a feeling of excitement with just a few words or like just a couple, the right words put together. That's, I mean, that's dope. Man, let me, let me tell you, I've told this story many a time, but I'll tell you real quick. The greatest rap line for me is just a personal thing. Personal. Nobody else really gets this. But to me, when my homie Rob one passed away in 2000 from, from the shapeshifters, DJ Rob One, um, when he died at his funeral, we're like in line. It's like an open casket. Everybody's, you know, saying our goodbyes. Raka from the Dilated Peoples, who's one of my closest friends, is standing in front of me. And, you know, he was really close with Rob. I was really close with Rob. He was my DJ. And we were fucking in line, to, you know, and people were putting things inside Rob's casket. Okay. I had a bracelet that my mom had given me that had my name on it. So Alejandro, you know, I ripped the bracelet off my arm, threw it in the casket. Raka, who was right in front of me, when he went up to say bye, he, I saw him, I saw him put a cassette, I saw him put a cassette in Rob's casket, right? Mm-hmm. And at the time, it was the, the preview before the album ever came out of the first Dilated People's album was called The Platform, right? Yeah. And, and it was like a cassette, an advanced copy of The Platform like Dang. before it came out and he put it in the casket now you fast forward a couple years go by i'm watching mtv and dilated peoples is like the worst comes to worst remix yes and i'm watching this shit right and in the remix rocker goes i buried rob one with a copy of platform so when you go to heaven your homie played that for him. 
Yes. Oh. And that shit sent chills down my spine, bro. I and just that, got goosebumps I, right now that, when you said that, it, bro. Straight up, I felt it, dude. <laughs> right, right. And so that to me is the everything in hip hop. That is the most, that kind of shit is like, that's what hip hop is to me. It's not, it's not, I'm the freshest, I got bitches, I got money. I got the man say something that impactful. Probably two to three people saw that happen. Right. Like Rocky, there's no popularity in him saying that. Right. There's no like he probably didn't even notice if anybody saw that. But he's he put he, he felt compelled to put that in the air. And it was like I buried Rob One with a copy of platform. So when you go to heaven, your homie played that for him. And I was like, that to me is like that's what I strive for. Yes. To sir. make something to write impactful shit like that you know to make myself happy not really anybody else right it's it's that purest like a reflection of yourself and like what you're trying to say without any uh i don't know outside pressure i guess that makes it like the most meaningful yeah yeah like you referenced the ghostwriting song for god the first song right yeah Uh, yeah what's it called i forgot what the first song is even called uh gaga isn't it Huh? Isn't it Goo Goo Gaga? Maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. Goo Goo Gaga, you know. So that song, you know, there's so much, there's personal shit in there that just doesn't mean anything to anybody but me. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's like I'm. Those are the songs that make. You know, at the end of the song, it says, you know, to have an opinion, you know, to to be able to to do whatever I want instead of what's trendy at the time. Mm. You know, my poetry has no time to care if you have the time. You know, like to to be able to make something without the approval of others that right. to me is the best like i don't need anyone's approval friends or anybody i never got approval when we were making i was getting clowned when i was writing in, in the <laughs> 90s my mexican homies were like what the fuck are you talking about they're over here bumping gangster shit and then they're like my homies used to clown me when i was rapping they were like you know exchanging acronyms for accolades like what the fuck are you talking <laughs> <Yeah>. about <laughs> and you know what i mean they would be like i don't get it and so it was like well it's not for you to get you right. know it's like when someone comes up to me when someone every now and then or even online a lot more you know on instagram or whatever but when someone comes up to me and says spits a line back to me of something that it would be hard to figure out and they figure it out that to me is dope Cause it might just be one person that gets it. And it's like, Oh, you got it. Like I, it brings such a smile to my face when someone's like, you know, Hey, I heard this thing. Did you mean this? Yeah. Oh yeah. You got that. And he was like, ah, and it's like me and this one random ass person that I don't know. He got it. You know, when I listen to De La Soul or Camp Low or all these rappers, I used to rap in codes. And I would listen to something 50 times and then after the 50th time, get it like, oh, you're talking about this. Uh I didn't get it over and over and over. And I didn't get it. And then you get it. It's just the power of of that is is a lot for me. That's what makes me happy. You know? Hell yeah. That forms an immediate connection between the listener and yourself. Like they may, they feel like they know a piece of you because they like, they figured it out. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and a lot of it is in what we call inside baseball, like a bunch of shit that you, only you know about. Uh-huh. Only I do a lot of things where like not too many people are even meant to. I don't give a fuck. It, it's well, not for you to get. And and then if you get it, you're like, you know, I like when someone calls me and says, "Oh my god, you said this, right?" And I'm like, "Yeah." And they're like, "You meant this." And I was like, "Oh, you get it." And it's, that shit just means the world to me. That, you know? That's the thing right there is with lyrics and poetry, and like. I don't know, just, I guess, art in a lot of different forms, but specifically, like, words. Uh, People can interpret them whatever way they want to interpret them to their own lives or, like, what they see fitting. But when someone actually can kind of pick out what you meant and that's correct, like, that's crazy. Like, hitting the nail on the head is kind of, like, not, it doesn't happen often. Right. Yeah, it's like an Easter egg in a movie, you know? Totally. Yes, exactly. So funny, man. Yeah, yeah. So to me, I take a lot of pride when it makes me feel good because it means that someone listens to it in a deeper way of just like, oh, it's like whatever, you know, it's like they get it, you know, it's, oh, yeah. it's dope. 
uh, before we move on, I, I we got a couple of things I want to talk about outside of music, like that you've been doing. But I just I had a story I wanted to share. Uh, one time, I when I was on Grim Image Records, how we we ended up meeting each other. I was over at the studio uh, working with Solia on um, on my EP Words with Friends, and it was tra- all tracks that I had done with like other artists and and all of that. And you were over there. And uh, you had agreed to do a song with me, like Soli set it up and everything. And we were there and I'm sitting in the living room writing like soli has got the beat and I'm sitting there writing for like an hour trying to get my verse down, get my 16 because I'm performing with two or I'm writing a, doing a song with two mix. This better be the hardest shit I've ever pulled. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? And you will you rolled up and you're like, yo, what's up? Yeah, let's do this. And you just stepped in the booth. You like rattled a couple of lines off and you're like, Oh, I got this. And boom, a 16 <laughs> bars came out. Like you didn't worry. We weren't worried about writing. You weren't worried about it. And it was the hardest shit ever just flowed right out of you, bro. And at that moment, I remember thinking like, dude, this fool just oozes hip hop. Like I have to try it. This shit. I have to sit down and like churn through it with my brain. And you just, you just ooze it, bro. Like you just live it. It is part of you. And it was so evident to me that day. Well, it's just, I mean, it's like when, when, you know, that cold concept of practice makes perfect, right? Yeah. Well, shit, bro. I lived in a, I lived in a studio with Deesky for 13 years. Mm. Look, I lived in a studio with Deesky. Deesky had a studio. There was times where Life Rex all had a studio in the kitchen. Uh, I lived with another cat there named Subtitle. Subtitle had a studio. So we had three studios in a house for 13 years. Then I, when I clicked up with Grim, there's a studio at the at the at the ranch, uh-huh. and Sully got a studio, and then I live right here in Long Beach. My boy Filiano's got a studio next, literally one foot away. <laughs> so it was like you know I've always been around studios, and you're always recording, so it becomes a daily exercise. That's why I write rhymes on Insta. Now that I don't record, I I, rec- I don't record as much at all. My 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 you know I went down. I don't do it like I used to. I used to record songs every week, but like, if not, if I can't record every week, at least I'm doing a, a poem, you know? Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Keeping so that, it's like, you know what I mean? At least you're doing a poem and that's, and that's like, you know, what matters, you know, keeping that I muscle memory up, picture, right? Lost your picture. You see my picture still? Yeah. yeah we, we still, still see you. you. Okay, cool. Cool. I just lost, you're just like a black screen right now. It says, Jim Cox. Oh, oh dang. Nah, it Hopefully be, it reconnects it over here. Yeah, I think it'll be all right. It'll come all right, through. Cool. Anyway, but yeah, man. So that to me was like, it becomes a daily exercise. So when you like, it becomes an exercise. It, you know, that's how I learned to write faster because shit, if you're writing a rhyme three times a week, four times a week. Yeah. You better be getting better at later, it. Yeah. 10 years later, you know, there's so many situations where I was in somebody's house, not even expecting to be on a song, either in my house or in somebody's house. And it's like, hey, you wanna, you know, I live with Disky. So imagine every rapper that went into uh-huh. uh, the studio with Disky, right? So imagine all of them are like, oh, Tumex lives in the next room. Knock on the door. Hey, what's up, Tumex? You know what I mean? Yep. So it was like, it was easier to, or like sometimes through the wall. I would hear Disky working on a song with somebody. And if it was hot, I, I walk in there voluntarily. Like, yeah. What's up? Get on this shit. This shit is fire, you know? So it was like, you know, when you make hip hop your life completely, then that's the kind of, you know, you were around that environment. It wasn't nothing unnormal to jump in a booth and rap, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, that that's nervousness, that, that nervousness goes away quick. Hey, well, throughout the years, you obviously uh, ad- adopted it into you because that day was just like, it was mind blowing to me, bro. You know what I mean? It was one of those things like, like, wow, it really does exist for real. Like, it's not just a story. You know what I'm saying? It was, it was tight. But uh, I, so I wanted to talk, we, we interviewed Sully uh, last season about shoe Wednesday. And we talked about some of the stuff that you guys were doing and how, how that got started. But I wanted to get your take on shoe Wednesday as well. Um, like he, he kind of mentioned how the organic nature of how it came about, you know, how he was down and out he, and you were like, let's go full, let's go buy some shoes. You know, you're going to help out a homie just to make him have a better day. 
And I thought that was the most like incredible way to start something like Shoe Wednesday. Um, but I wanted to get your take on that because Sully was like, dude, it was two mechs being the homie. Um, but I know that that couldn't have been like your, your goal to start this whole like Shoe Wednesday thing just by helping out a homie. You know what I mean? No, it did. It did. It was like, it was like what happened was, you know, obviously, like I said, I've been sick. For the, I mean, I've always been a shoehead, like wanting to be a shoehead. And you were always like into like, I was always into shoes. Mm-hmm. But what happened was between the pandemic and getting sick, I wasn't out much. So then I needed exercise. So out here in LA, I started going to the mall by myself all the time. I started going to Fox Hills Mall, started going to Lakewood Mall right here and by Long Beach. And I just started going to the mall for exercise because mm. the mall, you know, it's indoors, air conditioned, there's bathrooms, you know, whatever. Yeah. And I would just walk around the mall. Well, what the fuck am I going to do? Walk around the mall and not buy shit, <laughs> you know? So, so then I started buying myself some clothes. I was like, you know what, man, I dress bummy. I was like, I have money to buy shit. So I started buying myself some outfits and then it just got, I got to this thing where I was like, started buying myself some kicks. And then, um, I was telling Sully, I was like, man, you know, I miss, I love living in San Bernardino. I only, I only moved away from San Bernardino because my parents are in their seventies and I needed to live closer to them. So mm-hmm. I love Dino. And uh, I would be like, I'm gonna go there every Wednesday. And I was like, dude, you know, my money was right. And I was like, how am I going to go buy a pair of shoes and not buy you a pair? Mm-hmm. Like that's my homie, you know? Yep. So then I started making, started, I mean, shit, I must have, I must have bought Sully like 20 pairs of kicks, you know? uh, So then it became like, I'm buying a pair of shoes for me and you this week. And so every week I was fucking buying us a pair of shoes. And then somewhere along the way, we're like, man, you know, it wasn't even like, oh, we're spending all this money on shoes. It was making us happy because we're like, oh, we're shoe heads. This shit's tight. Yeah. I have somebody to be a shoe head with the same way you're like a toy collector or into this and that. Yeah. Sully was always been good to me. Sully, man, Sully let me live with him. Yeah. Sully let me live with him for free. Sully would record me so many uh, fucking dozens and dozens of times for free. Yeah. So yep. it was not like, it's not like. I was buying him shoes like I was doing him some favors. Sully's been doing me favors for years. And Sully, let me live over there. No joke. There's not a better deserving person, too, man. Sully is such a good dude, bro. One of the greatest things that come, the the greatest thing that come out of my experience with Grim Image is meeting Craig and Sully. That's it. Craig and Sully, to this day, I almost speak to them every day. And, I, and I, you're talking to a guy that's really blessed. I have some really fantastic friends, bro. D Ski, Life Rex, Saw, and, uh, you know, other Kiku. I have a bunch of great, great, loyal, everyday friends. And Sully and Craig are the two out of the whole experience with Grimm, as well as, you know, all the, the a lot of those other cats. You know what I mean? Yeah. Fucking everybody from electrical to fucking mm-hmm. shit. You know what I mean? You know, people already knew like Barfly and, you know, shit like that. But it was like them two in particular, like Sully used to let me live over there. Sully would record me for free. Sully would do me a gang of favors that 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 are, are like he helped me with my bank camp. I mean, Sully helped me pay my rent for a long time, bro. Yeah. So it was like naturally we did that. And then it just the idea came to me of like, well, shit, why don't we give a pair of shoes away every week? But then. If we do it as a five dollar membership site, then eventually these shoes will pay for themselves. Yeah, hell yeah, and we give shit away. So that's it. That's really where it came from. But it it just came from me wanting to uh, get some exercise. The pandemic had me fucked up, and I've been sick and just not doing shit. So I started going to the mall a lot to get exercise. It would be the only day, the only time I would get exercise if I took my ass to the mall and walked. And so I might as well go kick it with Sully. So now the routine is on Wednesdays, I go see Sully. We go get some food at uh, DJ's and shit. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, we go to D. Now we used to get German food every week, but now we just go. To- I can't eat potatoes like that no more. They're- All the best of the me. worst. That spot is amazing. That, yeah, that German deli spot. Yeah, yeah. Oh, dude, I was. Yeah, that, I, because of what because of what I go through, they're like, 
kick back on the potatoes, kick back on this. Uh, so funny. then I started going to, so we started going to DJs because I've been going there be, because of all of them. And so, dude, we go to DJs, we go eat, we go see Craig, go kick it at, at Craig's house for a little bit, kick it with him when he can. And then we go to the mall and exercise, walk around, go shoe shopping and shit. And then, you know, either I would go, either I'd go home or go to the casino and go fuck around and gamble or <laughs> I would just get a, or get a room and stay out there because I like, I like being out there. So on Wednesdays I would get a room and, you know, go see Sully, get shoes, do all that shit, see Craig, eat, kick it, feel like I had a day with my friends. And then at night, just get a room, watch TV, sleep, chill, invite other people. You know what I mean? Talk yeah. to yeah, broads, yeah. you know what I mean? <laughs> no, you that's... Know what I, mean? I have a lot of homegirls out there who go fucking be like, come over and let's smoke and chill, you know? Yeah. So shit like that, man. So it became a thing like that. That's all. And and now, we now after we got so into buying shoes, we're like, all right, for we between me and you, we got like sixty pairs of shoes. Let's <laughs> just get this shit popping. Yeah, yeah. that's a so cool, man. Get it now. We're like trying to fin get it done and shit. You know. No, that's that's way tight. I'm I'm glad that you uh, enjoy being out in the Dino, bro. It, the Dino oh, is my I hometown. Could, I would still be living there. It's just like I said, my parents are in their seventies, and I don't like them driving. My parents are always worried about me because I'm sick. So it's like I don't like them. The few times they came all the way from, I mean, they live in LA, LA, mid city. Right. So for them to go all the way from the heart of LA to San Bernardino to see me at their, my dad's 78, 79, you know what I mean? It's just not worth it. Totally. So I had to move back this way. So luckily through my other homie, Filiano, I, I was like, yo, I'm moving back towards LA. And my boy Filiano was like, I got an apartment right here for, for fucking cheap. And dude, he gives me like the homie rate. I got a fucking great place in Long Beach with a front yard, a backyard. It's fucking Dope. awesome. Damn, that's real cool, man. Well, I think yeah. the common theme of of today's interview with you has been like people helping people, bro. Like real, recognized, real. You you were so invested in your friendship. You you've cultivated relationships throughout your whole career that that have paid off dividends on both sides. You know what I'm saying? Like you help, they help. And it's like that very reciprocal, like I want to help you cause you're my friend, not like transactional. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's really cool to see, uh, investments in people, investments in relationships pay off in these, in ways that you could never, ever expect. You know what I'm saying? That's, it's just rad to hear. Yeah, man. Yeah. You know, Craig Grim image, kept me financially afloat for a couple of years, you know? Yeah. More more than a couple of years. And then Craig, then that kind of went away, but me and Craig stayed friends. And then Craig started hitting me up like, yo, what do you know about NFTs? And, you know, he, me and him have a common friendship when it comes to music, wrestling. Mm -hmm. We're both into wrestling fucking toys we were both into toys so then when he he was like putting me up on the nfts i was like i'm into crypto but he put me up on nfts and i was like once he showed me i was like that's dope and then of course my natural hustle is like well that's cool that we collect them why don't we make our own company yeah. <laughs> you know a wall one as a graphic artist and a talented person was the, the final piece in that and so a wall a wall craig and myself have secret saviors. And then, like I said, Sully's pretty much, even though he wasn't part of the inception of the company, Sully's like the main, other than me, A Wall, and Craig, Sully and now Life Rex are the main contributors too. You know what I'm right. saying? We're trying to, if we could expand and it's something that 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 gets bigger, then there's there's Pablo there, there's, you know, D Ski, all the same good people that have always been. You know yep. what I mean? I, I like too like, what Sully just did recently with his NFT like pack where where you're getting tracks of songs that go along with it. It's not just yeah, like a, yeah. a baseball card. You're actually getting some music with it. Yeah, well, it has a they call it a utility. Like people were tired of NFTs just being like a picture. Mm -hmm. Like, what is the purpose of the NFT? What can what kind of utility does it have? And it's like you can use the card. We're learning as we go. We've only been a company for a year plus. So we're like, oh, the cards need to have utility. So then we're like, put music to them. Yeah. And then also like, we, we we're creating cards that, that if you collect them and you burn them, meaning that you destroy them, they, it'll give you energy to play video games. 
Oh, trip so out. Like that, you know what I mean? We're like, we, as we learn, we, we're, we're learning more. And the crazy shit is if you know Craig, you've always, if you know anything about, you were on Grimm, yeah. you know that Craig was just more of a funder, right? Right. He was like the money man for, for Grimm, right? Yeah. Nah, not for Secret Saviors, bro. This food does work. That's tied hours to hear. Hours of technical work. Like Craig is invested in in uh, Secret Saviors, like a like he's the CEO and an employee. In mm -hmm. fact, Word. he does him. He does next to Tony, who does all the graphics and shit. Craig does all and is actually creating the end. Like he does the tech work. Like oh. let me buy a laptop and do this shit. So it's crazy because different than Grim where he was just, let's say, the funder and just, you know, the homie. No, he's really hands down on this shit. And, and so it's dope because it almost, as a dude like him with all those resources, it gives him a purpose too. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Besides being like the homie that can fund the shit. Right. It's like, nah, he's fucking 10 toes down in this bitch, like working on this shit. So no, it's that's, dope, you know what I mean? That's really cool I, to hear, man. I'm sure it is like, it means a lot to him too because like, I don't, I don't know Craig that well. I've met him once or twice through Jim, but I, his infinity for like toys and like collectibles and shit, like it makes sense. Like the NFT thing would be right up his alley because it's mm -hmm. kind of like that next wave of like collectibles. Holy. Well, it's like collectibles, like the future, obviously, whether we like it or not, the future is cybernetics, digital, you know, artificial intelligence, whether we like it or not, we yeah. can fight that shit. So Digital collectibles make a lot of sense because collecting art digitally, it won't get destroyed. The biggest issue with, with collectibles is what happens 30 years into it. Yep. Paintings fade. You know what I mean? Yeah. Shit gets stolen, shit gets old, shit crumbles and disintegrates. And all these tangible pieces of art lose their value when they disintegrate. Yep. You know, you could have a... You could have a hundred, you could have fucking 50 crates of record, and then a flood comes to your basement and your collection's dead. Yep. Well, that, yeah, that's you like know, the, the most expensive baseball card, like forever, was that uh, Hornus Wagner card when I was like a kid. Yeah. It was like this ball player you never heard of, like more than a Mickey Mantle or Joe DiMaggio or any of that shit. And I was like, why was that so expensive? My pops was like, because they used to give them in cigar boxes and they weren't really worth much, and all the rest of them got destroyed. And so now there's only 10 in circulation or some shit. So they're worth all this money. And it's like, I don't know. It's crazy to think about that. Like that digital blockchain thing is just like the next wave in that evolution of like collectibles and value. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because, because it, it, it's once again, with the utility, it suit it suits a dual purpose. Not only is it a piece of art, but because it's branded by crypto, then it's, it's a good place to put your money. Cause you can actually see the fluctuation of the value of it uh -huh. as you buy the piece of art, you, you, you know what I mean? Depending on the rarity of it and, and the demand. Right. So, right. you know what I mean? So it's like, it's just, it's just art collecting futuristic digital. And like I said, there's a, everybody's interested in digital art. Well, not everybody, but people are interested in digital art because it's not going to disintegrate. Right. And it's a good place to put your money in, in a safe place, even though there's a lot of propaganda to destroy it. You know, the government, I've been watching commercials where the, because the government shouldn't even be able to tax crypto, but now they're starting for all the laymen that don't know, they're starting to create propaganda. You know, that's when you know something's going to blow up when the government starts propaganda and it's demise. That yeah. just means that they're trying to break it down yeah, so to hold it down get into it and control it they mm -hmm. got to capitalize on it before it just can like marijuana just like the internet just like everything so right. it's like when they when they when the government starts disparaging something it's kind of like getting on it because yeah. i just mean <laughs> that in the future it's gonna blow up again they're just trying to knock it down so they can get all these people to go away oh yeah so it, you know one more time it's the secret saviors of underground hip-hop where can people find that at is that the site? We have a web. We have a website called ssohiphop.com. Secret Saviors of you know SSO Hip Hop. Okay. And most of our stuff is on a. There's a big, basically the biggest NFT uh, store. It's a superstore. It's like a. It's kind of like the Walmart of NFTs. It's called AtomicHub.io, and we're certified. We're whitelisted with them. We're actually like legit, like le a legit company under that banner. So. 
our 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 products are there, our, our NFTs are there, and it's like, yeah, we're 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 man, we've been we've been collabing with some of the biggest uh, companies. There's a company called the Blockchain Heroes, which is like the the basis of why me and Craig even got into this shit. And like we we're collabing with them, Craig, dude. The card they made a card for Craig called Lord Grim, which is <laughs> it's like literally the it's a it's a drawing of Craig with with the Grim image as his face, and it's actually one of the cards that they they use to promote the series. That's so dope. That's literally like the cover of the pack. That's way. Like that's where Craig has gone to the point where Craig's face is the cover of the pack. I love hearing that, bro. I, I love mean it. that shit is. That's fucking amazing yeah. and the reason he's that and the reason he's that is because it's called ascending he's like one of the his collection is so healthy and he collects all that shit he supports all these companies to the fullest so they 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 reward him by making him a card and making him money yeah no that's super so, tight bro I'm glad I'm glad to hear that 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 kind of uh, appreciation is out there and that Craig is getting so involved too man that's that's super cool that he's doing the work. Next time you see that guy make sure you tell him what's up for me man. I miss him. I ain't seen him in years but I definitely uh, think I will, about him. man. I think I hope if everything goes okay I'll see him on Wednesday. I go pretty much only I mean I talk to him on the phone every day almost but pretty much on Wednesdays I I, I we stop by his house for like 30 just to say what's up, you know what I mean? Yeah. Work, yeah. Hell yeah what up and shit like that once a month we go see him we go see him to go get like our paycheck or whatever we're like we're like get a little paycheck and then every time i go out there if he's around if he's not busy with the kids we just be like hey i'm gonna slide through and we just stop by and chit chat about secret saver business or wrestling or some stupid shit i mean yeah. kids you know oh yeah nice about the shit we like you know well, shit, we're just about coming up on time right now, dude. I really appreciate you making so much time and speaking so openly and honestly with us about everything. It was rad catching up, bro. Um, what up, man? Well, I appreciate you, man. Before before we go, uh, do you have anything that coming up that you'd like to promote? Um, anything that you want to let people know about? Obviously, C- Secret Saviors of Hip Hop is a huge thing. Uh, Shoot yeah, Wednesday. Yeah, um, like I said, I got a show uh, March 4th in the city of Santa Ana, my, my good people from out the house productions who we, we, you know, cause I'm, cause of the way my condition or whatever, I don't, I don't play a lot anymore, but we, we, we trying to do kind of like a once a year thing now with them. So last show was uber successful. It was me, AWOL and Elemento. And this oh. year we're doing a, on March, on March 4th, we're doing myself with, uh, Radio Inactive, Existereo, my boy Filiano, and uh, this dude Kill C Ray from San Diego. So, so yeah, we're throwing a show. Oh yeah, that's a dope um, lineup, bro. Yeah, hell yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just keep it family and shit. And uh, yeah, we got a show March fourth in Santa Ana, La Santa. And uh, other than that, yeah, Secret Saviors, Shoot Wednesday, the book. I mean, there's always so much. I'm always just like I said, trying to. You know my band camp. I'm always trying to get people to listen to the music and stuff like that. But yeah, pretty much, man. There's always if you follow me on IG, you know you get to see the fuckery. You know what I mean? There's, <laughs> a, there's always good shit. You know, I try to I try to put poems on there. I try to put funny shit on there. I try to like just keep it interesting. Social commentary, you know, on what's happening with TikTok and you know the short attention span. You know all this shit, you know what I mean? I, you could always find me commenting on on what, what I see is happening with the future and shit, you know? I'm kind of a futurist. So I'm always think, you know, trying to like point out shit to people like, pay attention to this shit. Pay attention to what's happening to make sure that you're not getting sucked up in this, this you know, mindless social media bullshit, you know? Yeah, yeah. Hell yeah, always aware. Dude, well, thank you so much, man. It was a pleasure meeting you. Great talking to you. Um, for sure, man. I'll, I'll see you again for sure. Yeah, well, we're, shit. Chances are me and Jim will be at that show on the 4th. That sounds like a good-ass time. Yeah, it does. Word, word. Yeah, man, come out, man. It'll be a dope thing. Cool. Hell yeah, man. Well, we're going to do a quick uh, a quick outro here. I really appreciate you being here, man. And uh, next time you're around the Dino or, or over in Highland, hit me up. I'm right here in Redlands. Let's go grab some lunch or something. Yeah, well, shoot shoot, shoot me and Sully a call Wednesday, man. I, I'm usually with Sully, like, around... Noon to one o'clock, just shoot us a call. Dude, 
I will do that, bro. All right, man. All right, take care. Thanks again, man. Thank you. Take care, man. No worries, man. Late. Yeah, this has been another episode of the Ratness Podcast. You can catch us every week on Fridays, YouTube for the video, and anywhere you get your platform or your podcasts, <laughs> you yeah. can stream us for the audio. Uh, Spotify, Google, Apple Podcasts, and more. Uh, go to ratnessstickerco.com for prints, shirts, stickers, zines, comics, um, and anything else that we might have going on. Jim, you got anything? Nope. All right, we'll see you next week.